To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So this week on the podcast, I have back on Robbie Denning. Robbie is such a wealth of knowledge when it comes to mule deer. Uh, he understands the species so well and their tendencies. Uh, he understands the different habitats, the different seasons that go along with it. And so we're able to dive in and have these these really in-depth, high-level conversations about mule deer and, and compare notes uh, the things we see and the things we recognize, the things we do as mule deer hunters. And so uh, I just really enjoy these conversations, and, and this is another great one with Robbie. Uh, so he was given a speech at the Western Hunting Summit about the mule deer rut, and that's what we dive into today. We talk about the mule deer rut in depth. And uh, it, it's just such a, a great conversation. I know I learned some things from it. I know you guys will, too. I love having Robbie on the podcast, so this is a great one, guys. We'll get right into it. I just want to thank a couple of my sponsors. I want to thank Everly Stock Packs. Everly Stock builds a durable pack that packs the weight really well, lightweight, and they have all different designs to fit your needs as far as packs. Uh, I really like using the kite pack for a day pack or an overnight. It's really lightweight, sits tight to my back. I can stalk and hunt with it on. Uh, I can still pack out an animal if I kill one on the hunt. Uh, just a great day pack. Uh, I also use their little big top. This is a, a pack that I'll use for three to five days. Lightweight, packs the weight well. Uh, a minimalist design, just a great pack. Uh, I also use the, the Destroyer. And uh, the Destroyer's a, a great expedition-style pack. Uh, really sits tight to my back, and I'm able to get 7 to 10 days' worth of gear in it. Uh, also check out their new brand of packs. I used them this year. Uh, so this is their Vapor Series. It goes on the, on the um, mainframe, and then you can get a 2,500 cubic inch bag, a 5,000, or a 7,500. It also has a meat shelf that you can cinch the meat in between your bag and your frame, which is a great feature for packs. And it's also got a minimalist design uh, where I'm able to get that pack weight down pretty far, but will still pack heavy loads really well. So uh, if you're in the market for a new pack, make sure to check out Everly Stock. I also want to thank one of our sponsors, Savage Arms. Savage builds some of the best rifles with out-of-the-box accuracy. Uh, just so impressed. I built this rifle last year, this 6.5 Creedmoor, and the thing will just absolutely shoot. Uh, they have a bunch of different designs that'll fit any price specifications. Like uh, uh, you can get their base model and it's still going to be uh, really accurate outside the box. All the way up to like their 110 Ultralight is a favorite between the Eastmans. Um, I love this rifle. This rifle comes in at, at under six pounds. Uh, it's designed for mountain hunting. It's super accurate. It's got the Savage AccuFit where you can adjust the comb length and the comb height, which is so imperative to shooting a rifle accurately. Uh, it also has the Accu Trigger, so you don't have to take it to a gunsmith to lighten up the trigger. Uh, you can adjust that trigger. I believe it's uh, uh, 1.5 to 4 pounds on that trigger, so uh, you can set it a little bit lighter for accurate shooting. Uh, they also have the carbon fiber wrapped stainless steel cut rifled barrel on it. Uh, just build great shooting rifles. So uh, if you're in the market, make sure to check out Savage Arms. Over at Eastman's, we've got uh, the magazines that are coming out. Just released an article about stocking high percentage animals. Uh, that's written in the Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal. You can get both magazines, EHJ, uh, EBJ, e for $50 and an outdoor edge knife if you put in the promo code ELEVATED321. Uh, you can also get some money off uh, if you're interested in our elite membership, which uh, is a membership to both magazines, membership to Tag Hub, 
you get all uh, access to our entire video library. Uh, we're doing a bunch of hunt giveaways on there, and you can check that out. Uh, you can you can go to Eastman's and then go to the landing page, Brian, and it'll save you a little bit of money on that. Uh, that's the Elite Tag Hub membership. Tag Hub is our internet research tool. I've told you guys about it before. Uh, it's really been helping me out here in tag season as I refer to it constantly for how many points it takes, for success odds, for uh, ratings, like you name it. There's so much information on there. So uh, it's a great resource for Western hunters. So again, that's Eastman's Tag Hub. And with that, um, yeah, it's nice. Uh, uh, got a bunch of recordings at that the Western Hunting Expo, a bunch of great recordings like this one today with Robbie Denning. And uh, yeah, I'm just uh, counting down the days till spring. We had a, a little bit of gnarly weather come back in Montana, zero degree weather, a little north wind blowing today. But um, yeah, I've been getting in good runs, did a good long one the other day, which is always good to stretch the legs and, and uh, put on some some big miles like that. So yeah, just getting my runs, shooting my bow, uh, getting ready for bear season and trying to draw some tags. So that's the nature of the beast here. But um, I want to get right into this podcast. It's a great one. So it's uh, Robbie Denning. Uh, it's part of Rock Slide. Uh, he has uh, one book that's out, another one that's going to be released. Uh, just an absolute wealth of knowledge, great resource for us muley hunters. And I always really enjoy the conversation. It's it's so uh, high level, in depth about mule deer, and uh, it's just really fun to compare notes with this guy. So, uh, really enjoyed the podcast. I'm your host Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. All right, I'm live here at the expo. I got one of my favorite people, Robbie Denning. So uh, thanks for joining me, man. Hey, thank you. Mm-hmm. Good to be on here. I saw your podcast schedule. It looks like it's just crazy. Uh, we're recording some good ones. Yeah, yeah, we've had some great ones today. We got Jason Matzinger on. We got uh, those guys from Stone Glacier. Do you know them? Which ones? Uh, I know, Zach I know Lyle. and uh, Andrew Whitney. Yep, I know who Zach yeah. is. Yep. Those guys are killers. They, yeah, they the live to eat those. Film? Yes. Yeah, a good little film, too. Oh, really good film. Yeah, yeah there's, um, there's a bunch of great guys around the show, isn't there? Yep, that's why I come. Yeah. It's a networking in person, still the best. Yeah. I uh, I see. I really wanted to make your seminar. Have you done your seminar Mine's yet? Mine's tomorrow. Oh, good. Yeah, I'll be tomorrow, 4 o'clock. So if you're around, I'd love to have you. Oh, I, yeah, I'd love to sit in and listen. Um, you have it all planned out? Yeah, talking uh, mule deer rut. It's all about the rut and um, um I don't think there's a lot of good information out there on the mule deer rut compared to the whitetail guys. Man, you talk to the whitetail guys, they're like, oh, on November 7th you do this, on November 8th you do this, oh, and when the when the moon's waxy gibbous <laughs> you do this. And, man, I don't hear those kind of conversations among mule deer hunters. In fact, some of the some of the stuff I hear about the rut on mule deer is like, that ain't right, you know. And so I just. I've been working on it a couple of months, and I just went through kind of all the misconceptions, some of the stuff that I used to believe on it that have been proven false, and then just how I hunt the rut, and and then just tried to kind of define the rut really when it is, because sometimes I'm talking to guys, and I can tell they don't even know when the rut really is. I mean, everybody's like, oh, yeah, the rut's in November, but there's different things going on. Um, like this year, we had a really early rut. Um, October 20th, I was having guys that I trust. They're like, I am seeing big bucks in the does. We're not talking just head down feeding with the does. We're talking doing the nasty, mm-hmm. chasing them down. I mean, they're they're checking does. And, and within, by like the 22nd, 23rd, I'm getting pictures of guys that are killing five, six, seven-year-old bucks. And they're like, oh, yeah, he was with the does at 10 o'clock in the morning. And I couldn't get out till about the 23rd. And sure enough, man, on the 24th, we found a really good buck, probably just looking at his body, five to six years old. We tried to kill him, but um, I spooked the does when we uh, tried, uh, tried to stalk in there. And he was right in them. And that's mm-hmm. the earliest I've ever seen it. Wow. And so... That's what this seminar is about, just kind of some of the things I've learned over the years that might be um, triggering the rut, uh, when we think the rut is 
I mean, I've had guys tell me, oh, there's no rut this year. Oh, yeah, it's like a guy missing his wedding, man. Come on. <laughs> there's always a rut. It's, and, and, I, and, and I compare it to, like, back when I used to hunt bull elk is, you know, September 1st through the 5th, yeah, sometimes I'll see big six points out feeding on grassy ridges all by themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, you bugle at them, they'll look at you a little bit. But, you know, they're, they're, they're not crazy. But you jump one drainage over, and here's another big six with nine cows. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so what's that all about? You yeah. know, and I think it has to do with, 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 with who's in estrus and who's not. Mm-hmm. You know, because those, those bulls know what that is, and mm-hmm. those bucks know what that is, you mm-hmm. know. And um, I've even had a few guys that I trust over the years that have had big bucks around herds of elk in September mm-hmm. that, are, that are acting ruddy. Have wow. you ever heard that before? No, I've, yeah, I've never heard, heard it from that. a couple of guys that are like, "Yeah, I saw a big old buck, and he was, you know, he didn't dare get close to the cows because the bull was there. But you know, he's lip curling, he's smelling the air, and I really think that's kind of what sets it off. So we got to really key in on the does. What are they doing? You know, that has a lot to do with with the rut. But anyways, just to sum it up, broke it down from early rut. We just talked about that peak rut, which. In my, my journals, I think is at November 10th to the 30th. But then late rut, that's a good time to hunt too. And, and, and you, I know you late archery hunt, so we should talk about this. But from the guys I talked to as I was putting this article together, I was confirming, and I've seen this with my own eyes, uh, bucks actively courting does clear to the third week of December. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you're speaking my language. I love the rut. It mm-hmm. is a great opportunity to hunt mule deer and so thrilling and exciting. Mm-hmm. And it's more of a, uh, at least me with a bow and arrow, it's it's more of an aggressive hunt. Like mm-hmm. when I when I see them, I have to make plays on them yes. because they might be miles away the next mm-hmm. day. Uh, mm-hmm. But I absolutely love the rut. So yeah, I do find like, um, it seems like the farther south, the later the rut happens. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I hunt a a spot in Idaho, and it used to be all general season late archery where I could hunt multiple different units. Mm -hmm. But there's a unit that I can hunt there in Idaho that doesn't open until uh, December 1st and goes to December 31st. Mm -hmm. And I've seen bucks rutting the last day of December. Yeah, and rutting does hard. And and just like you said, like, um, I like it early. I like that that pre-rut. You're totally speaking my language because I love focusing in and honing on the rut and hearing input and insight from other Mm -hmm. guys that love to hunt the rut like you do. Uh, so that pre-rut, uh, you know what's strange is you saw guys uh, with rutting deer early where I was hunting. I did not see much rut activity. Mm-hmm. And so, like, uh, what I can't, like, pre-rut, uh, these bucks are still hanging in bachelor groups. But when I start to really key in on the, P-rut, the, the, the uh, pre-rut, I find that these bucks, they start to run solo or they start to run one, two bucks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They start to travel country. They start to look for does. Mm-hmm. And I've actually caught some of my biggest bucks in that late October yep. when it doesn't seem like the rut's going on. Right. You may look at five, six, seven groups of does no and bucks. not see one buck chasing. But all of a sudden you run across one of these great big bucks and he's rutting these does late mm-hmm. in October. It's actually one of my best time frames for, mm-hmm. for bucks. And, you know, like this year, I ended up arrowing a buck late October, uh, keying in on that, that pre-rut activity. Mm-hmm. And this buck was hanging with another buck. And it almost seems like they start to stage, like, by their rutting grounds. Like, mm-hmm. they make a big move in that late October to the rutting grounds or close to them mm-hmm. and, and start hanging out and start taking interest. So, yeah, I just I yep. love all the stuff you're talking about. Yep, that's been my experience too and I think that's why if you're not paying attention to what's going on it can be a frustrating time to hunt yes because it's like all I'm seeing are does you know because by that's the other thing too we don't pay I don't think we pay enough attention to the does in as, as when we're rut hunting the does if you notice you go from like September you know there's a doe over there in a fawn there's two does and two fawns but what happens at the end of October they all get in groups right mm-hmm. you start seeing these doe groups go from you know two or three to five seven ten and that just increases as you get into November, you know, you start to see does, you know, 10, 12, 15 of them together. That's just more estrus together. So, but moving back to that late October time, I think when those does are, are still fairly spread out, that means your estrus is spread out. So you may, you may not see a buck doing anything. Like mm-hmm. you said, you could look at five or six groups of deer and there's no bucks around mm-hmm. then all of a sudden here's this big ruddy buck nose to the ground right in there. And, and so I'm always trying to watch the does and spend time around them. I don't just hunt you know, late October, I don't just hunt the does like in November I do. I mean, I'm, 
I'm, I'm, their, I'm their neighbor. I'm their new best friend because I know that's what's going to bring them around. But like late October when you killed that buck last year, I just try to make sure I'm, I'm around those areas where those does are, but not just keying in on just them. Yes. But, you know, you, you mentioned they'll move closer to the rutting guns. I totally agree with all that. And, and yet... Like in my younger years, I'm still back off on some 10,000-foot peak. Like, wow, where's the bucks? I mean, I can't find any. And, you know, you maybe find one or two just enough to make you think, oh, they're up here, but they're hiding. No, they have pulled out. They are, they are getting ready for those does. And, and like this year, you know, confirmed bucks breeding does, the 20th of October. That's just mind-boggling to me that they're already in there. So, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm packed in up some drainage 10 miles, and there's you know, a, lot of, a lot of those does don't spend a lot of time in the backcountry late because they got to get the fawns to the winter range, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. That's what's driving it. Mm-hmm. You know, they got to get those fawns to the best habitat, best place, best possible scenario to survive. So I, I look back over the years, I spent so much time late October in areas that really didn't have that many deer, but I'm still like thinking, well, there's bucks up here in September. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But they've but they've moved by then. Yeah. So, anyways, I'm going yeah. on, but that's that's kind of what my seminar is no, about. I love it. Yeah. Well, and you're right that uh, that uh, er, that late August, uh, September, or really all through the summer, that summer range uh, that changes. Uh, like early in September, they move to that secondary living, and so you're hunting them a lot in that secondary living and looking that, and then they transition to to that pre-rut and those rutting mm-hmm. grounds. And at first, they're bachelor groups, and it's like you got to look over 50 different canyons to find the one canyon that they're in and that Mm -hmm. they're living in Mm -hmm. but then i love that pre-rut and sometimes it's late october sometimes it's the first few days in november and you start to see a change and all of a sudden you're starting to see all these solo bucks and they're Mm -hmm. starting to cruise country and that is a great time to catch them and then we move into the to the peak rut which is so fun to chase it's crazy oh the big bucks make mistakes and um that is like like what you're saying really keying in on the does and and it's not like i'm going to camp on one group of does but i like finding these drainages that hold 20 does or 30 does and and then the next drainage over holds 20 or 30 does and these bucks just start to travel through those places and i actually find like in high pressure areas um you know, you got to be careful at which does you key into. Like uh, yes. uh, hunting does that are around a road, and all of a sudden you found 20 does. Like it's only going to be young bucks that are going to rut those does. Because if a buck's going to grow up to live to be four, five, six, seven, those bucks that we're trying to target, they have rutting grounds as well where mm-hmm. they don't get shot out of, where they mm-hmm. don't get seen. And so I really think they key into this country uh, that that's um, just over a ridgeline or tough to glass, or maybe you got to hike a little bit back into it. But I love finding the rutting grounds that are away from the pressure in the roads. Do you also focus on that? Yes, and I call them secure does. You yes. gotta hunt the secure does. Oh, I love that. And and you get fooled by these ones that are down there off the county road that are you know back at the, you know behind some guy's field and you can see them and you know but everybody's hunting them and stuff. A big buck is not gonna feel good about going in there. He may be in there at night, but. But, um, you know, if it's public ground, if it's over the counter, he's just going to get shot. He won't even make it past one or two years old. And plus, I think that's where a lot of the misconception comes from. A lot of guys I talked to, and I used to think this, think that the young bucks do the breeding first. But I think that's just a function of there's a lot of young bucks, right? There's way more young bucks than there are old old bucks in every herd, no matter how it's managed. And so that's just a function of just more young bucks around the does. And those young bucks know what that smell is. Mm -hmm. They know what that hormone is. Mm -hmm. And so... When you're hunting these does that are, you know, down in easy country and everything, all that's left are little bucks. Big bucks aren't there. So you're just naturally going to think, oh, yeah, the little bucks are the ones doing the breeding. I've heard, I used to say this. I've had friends say this. Oh, yeah, the big bucks rut late. No, they don't. <laughs> they, they, they'll rut first if they're around those does. And, I, and I've seen it. That, that broken heart buck I killed in 2009, that buck was in the does October 27th and as hardcore as he would have been on November 15th. The only difference was there was only a couple of does in heat. He didn't hang around. I actually didn't kill him until the next year after I saw this. He didn't hang around, but he was in there checking them. Um, but they were that was on private property. So there was only a couple of, of us that had access. Um, nobody was hunting that morning and he just felt secure around them. But, yeah, I'm with you. You can spend a lot of time on the wrong does. And I think well, talking to a lot of guys, I think they do. Yeah. Because they're like, man, all I saw was spikes and forkies. And, you know, like we saw, you know, 300 deer and I never saw a big buck. I'm like, 
man, where are you hunting, dude? There's got to, even in the lamest herds, there's got to be a nice buck around there somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, so anyways. You, you're spot on. They find these rutting grounds where they can go, where they're undisturbed. And, um, you know, some of the, the best places in these high-pressure areas are like my backpack spots. Like I mm-hmm. hunt this roaded area, 300 square miles of great mule deer habitat. And, and the deer numbers aren't spread out throughout. There's pockets of right, deer in like different places. Are. But I kind of find like a land bridges like it's the new wilderness to me is Mm -hmm. like state and blm Mm -hmm. stuff that isn't marked wilderness and there might be roads in there but there's no access to it because it crosses you know private land and i search hard for these areas Mm -hmm. and 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 people might discount them because they see a two track but you can't get to the two track Mm -hmm. because it crosses private and then i'll just take my backpack and i'll go hike in these areas and, and it's amazing the number of mature deer that i'll find in these areas during general rifle seasons in yep. these places yep. um, and, and these deer have just found a niche in the country they found a place where they can survive come rut every year and they don't get shot with rifles because they don't mm-hmm. get that much pressure but I love finding these little uh, uh, hidden wildernesses like this state and BLM and even national forest but just being creative with the access points and where I'm where I'm hunting to to see that there 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 isn't much access or there uh, that you got to hike into it and and those spots are gold mines for me and it's night and day from the spots next to the road. And you might mm-hmm. see a lot of does next to the road, but you're right. You're seeing a lot of smaller bucks. And these big bucks, they get rut in these does in these secluded areas. Mm-hmm. They have to. Or like you said, they wouldn't be four, five, six, seven years old. Yep. There, there's no way. And, and um, the, the, all they need is just something, whether it's the management, number of licenses, or uh, something that... that, that, that raises the bar to entry maybe that's like what you said there's some private land in the bottom there's no way to get around there you got to come in from the top but it's only a mile and a half in all they need is just just a little something like that right before this podcast you and i were looking at that picture of that buck on that guy's phone mm-hmm. you didn't catch at the beginning of that conversation that buck lived right above a dirt road and he, they could hear people on the dirt road and yet here's this 30 31 inch buck walking around up there just a, a giant of a buck and he's like he was there for three weeks because he just had there was just that, that mountain was you know 40 degrees and you know nobody's going to walk straight up that from a road because they're like oh there's nothing up there and plus it was brushy but that's all all that buck needed to survive in there and so so yeah you call it a, a niche in the country that's that's real it is really all it is you don't need to be back on the furthest highest no. peak and uh-uh. in fact these days <laughs> that's where everybody is so sometimes you're better off to be in some of this front range stuff you remember jim zumbo mm-hmm. I, I remember him back in the 80s talking about these state and blm little pieces and everything and i didn't even believe him you know i was totally into the national forest and you know 30 miles in you know that's how i was thinking back then and and yet he was like oh yeah no i find all these big bucks living in this you know these little square miles of blm that are between two pieces of state and the only way you can get through it is either hike in from another spot or get private access and you know what that old guy was right man after over the years as i hunted more i thought yeah there's so much country i'm just driving by Mm -hmm. that probably has big bucks in it and Mm -hmm. i'm you know i'm too romanticized to be back as far as I can go, you know, which can still be good. I do that stuff too. Me too. You yep. know, because usually the further you get from the road, the better the age class, mm-hmm. not necessarily the better the hunting. But uh, anyways, we're, we're, we're singing the same tune. Yeah. No, it's spot on. Yeah. And I I see that, um, you know, the rut can be different where it starts like, heck, I hunt the really good peak rut January 15th down in Arizona. Oh, it yeah. happens way later down there. But it seems like in my neck of the woods up north in uh, Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, I really see that rut kick off that beginning of November and Mm -hmm. and the dates can change it can be anywhere from November 1st to last year it really seemed like it was November 7th 8th before I really really started seeing rut activity you know Mm -hmm. before I started to see these bucks break off in singles and and uh, the rut's good because um like prior to the rut you got to look over 50 or 100 drainages to find the one drainage where the bucks, the bucks lie. Are, right? But it seems like once that rut starts, all these bucks get spread out throughout <laughs> the landscape. Mm-hmm. They're not running in bachelor crews anymore. They're running in singles, and they're covering a lot of country looking for these does. So 
Like it can turn country where you never see a buck September, October. There's never one in there. You couldn't find a good deer to save you. But all of a sudden the rut comes and that place comes alive yep. with bucks. Yep. Working those does in there, you know. Mm-hmm. So finding these key rutting grounds that are away from pressure, good population of does. And I like to find like good population of does that are living in these drainages and figure out how I can glass it, how I can look at it. And then get in there during the rut and see what kind of bucks are moving around. Uh, what are some of your tactics that you use once the rut kicks off? Are you using vantage points? Are you um, uh, changing vantage points, rolling through country, using a mobile vantage point, or does it depend where you're hunting? Because I'm mostly a firearms hunter. All my ar- archery hunting uh, is early. I'll hunt the early season with my bow. After that, I switch over to rifle and or muzzleloader if I, if I draw a muzzleloader tag because there's still a few rut opportunities for muzzleloader and you have a chance of getting a tag. So because, you know, I'm I'm able to reach out and touch them you know 100 yards and beyond i don't spend as much time glassing as what people might think now early archery season absolutely number one technique i'm i hate still hunting with a bow i mean the only time i'm still hunting with a bow is if i i blew a stock or i just lost track of him and it's the only way to get in there no i want my eyeballs on that deer but once you get into hard horn and and the rut and, and this is, I think, one of the big misconceptions with the rut. People think the big bucks are dumb and they're just running around out in the sagebrush. Well, some places, but not usually. you got to get in the cover where they're at. So I always start my day glassing. It's still my number one technique in the rut, definitely. Mm-hmm. But I am not sitting on the vantage point for five flipping hours. Mm-hmm. No way. You know, that's more like archery, early archery season. So <clears throat> let, me, let me answer the question by, by breaking the rut up. So we have the early phase of the rut, which in my book, October 20th to November 9th. Okay, that's what I call Spot the on. early phase. Yeah. Okay, uh, they're, they're rutting. Um, they're, they're definitely around the does, though maybe not every doe has a buck. And, you know, but they're all the stuff that we talked about. Um, I'm watching does, but I'm also looking at more classical buck country, higher ridges, stuff like that, because not all the bucks have pulled into the does. Okay. And, and, and something's going on with the mule deer diet in October that I'm still learning about, but I, I think we don't think about it enough. We go through the summer, the deer are heavily eating grasses. So the summer fa- uh, fades, they go into herbs and forbs. Um, and then as we get into October, their, their diet switching over more over to the woody brows, you know, the brush, okay? So that early phase of the rut, that's really when the does have hit the brush. If you really pay attention, they're pulling out of the high country. Even if there's no snow, you start finding them in the brushy draws, the brushy country. You know, and I'm talking all the different varieties of brush. Ceanothus, antelope bitter brush, a service berry. I mean, there's, there's dozens of varieties of them. And that has to do with that's what they're trying to eat at that time. Mm-hmm. But because all the bucks haven't pulled into that, some of them are still in the high country, so I'll spend I'll spend probably more time glassing marginal stuff that this is just buck country, but I don't spend the whole day there either. No. You know, I'm trying to switch between the two. Um, and then I just know somewhere after Halloween, as long as it's not 60 degrees, and especially if you're getting low barometric pressure and, and you're starting to get storms you don't have to have three feet of snow but if you're getting a dusting of snow and night it's cold low barometric pressure those bucks are active and i'm really keying in on those does then i mean i'm like usually by then i've got a little inventory of does okay there's does over here on this piece two miles up this road there's some does over here if i'm packed in somewhere i'm like okay i got to hit this trail this day you know i got to get up at three o'clock in the morning this day because i'm going here or, oh i can sleep till seven that day because i'm just hunting up the ridge here but i i'm, I'm purposely going to the does after halloween you know mm-hmm. I, I really spend a lot of time with them i'm not expecting these bucks to be solitary off up on some high country ridge like I would have maybe a week or two before. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so then when we get in after November 10th, um, I'm I'm glassing, glassing. It's always your number one technique. But what I'm trying to get at is if I ain't finding them, I'm not just going to sit on the knob and freeze. Mm -mm. uh, They're leaving tracks on the ground. We usually got snow by then. And so sometimes I'm just walking around likely country and I'm, and I'm looking at the ground and I'm, and this is the other thing too. I think whitetail hunters will camp on a scrape or a rub for a month. You know, mule deer hunters, we just walk right by them. We don't even pay attention to them. That's sad Mm -hmm. because I've learned this over the years. That big buck I killed in Montana in 2009, that was directly because I knew I was hunting the rut. 
and I was finding rubs that aged back over the decades. I could just look at the trees and the brush and tell like, okay, there's a brand new fresh rub. I mean, there's this hair on the ground and look at that rub. That's like years old. You know, I was seeing that kind of stuff, but it was really thick. You couldn't glass it. You just, you know, typical Northwest Montana. Um, and so rather than, you know, I'd glass in the morning, you know, half hour, hour, you know, just see if we catch anything out, definitely. But then after that, I'm, I'm headed in the weeds where they're at. And, and it's, it's not fun. I mean, you spend a lot of time still hunting and, and, and hunting in the cover with no action. I mean, it's hard. And a lot of times, even when you see them, you don't get a shot, even with a rifle. I mean, everything happens fast. But I just have learned over the years, that's where those biggest bucks are, especially if it's not a draw tag and you're competing with other hunters, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the pre-rut, or excuse me, the uh, um, peak rut stuff after November 10th, it's pretty much draw tags, you know, usually. So you don't have a lot of hunting pressure. And so you might catch those bucks out in the open but I, I still don't spend all my time out in the open I'm not I don't glass as much as people think I do as we get into the late rut which I think starts after November 30th you know a lot of the does have been bred the actions calming down you can still see bucks chasing does definitely but you may see a bachelor herd of bucks you, know, you may see three bucks running together like it was early October have you mm-hmm. seen that yeah, I yeah. Have. or yeah. multiple bucks in a group of does yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Be there's this just you can just tell nobody's thinking about the honeymoon right now but then all of a sudden one ridge over here's this big old buck you know sniffing the ground running right. a doe over the ridge you know yeah, it's, exactly. it's kind of both at that time yeah. so by that time I'm actually glassing a little bit more and you know on average you've got more weather by then more snow has fallen and the deer have moved even closer to their critical deer uh, winter range where you know early early rut in early november they may still be on the big mountains Mm -hmm. you know and and even peak rut mid-november to late november you know they're transitioning but you know they've still got pretty high deer usually by the time i get to december the deer are about as low as they're going to be for the year Mm -hmm. so it's typically big big glassable country Mm -hmm. and then a lot of this winter range will have high open ridges around it, mm-hmm. and the does are, you know, they're focused more on the brush. That's why I talked about their diet and everything. Where these bucks will, I, th- I think bucks still like to see more than the does. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, they just think about where they live. You know, they, 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 on average, they're higher up. They want to be on the ridges. That tells me that they want to see. There's, there's, there's something about it. So on that, on the later archery hunt, I actually am glassing a lot more, maybe even like I would be in the early archery hunt. Although it's so flipping cold, you can't sit very long. No. But, you know, I really am watching those openings because those bucks, by that time, they're worn down from the rut. I think they they go back to feeding a lot. Yes. I've watched these bucks, Brian, that Montana buck I told you about. When I skinned him, it was November 23rd. Dude, he, he looked like a bodybuilder. He had no fat mm. on him. And this was, I aged him, he was six and a half years old, healthy. I mean, that, that buck probably had two inches of fat on him before he started the rut. But I've seen these bucks just get skinny through November. I mean, I mean they're just running hard. They don't stop. But they get into December and all the does are going out of estrus or they've been bred. Um, and, and I think they're starting to rebuild their bodies and so glassing can actually be pretty good then and um you know you're you're with the eastman boys i mean that's kind of how they made their name going out on the winter ranges glassing all these big bucks and you know later in the year mm-hmm. the rut's not really going or everything they're highly visible mm-hmm. so i try to take advantage of that too and mm-hmm. you know spend some more time glassing them mm-hmm. gosh such great information yeah um you're so right as it gets into the rut like i find myself using similar tactics where I, I still glass a lot. Like you say, it's my primary way that I that I find and hunt these deer. Uh, but I also find, like, even though the bucks can be moving all day, I find that once I get on the vantage point, I kind of see all the deer that are around within 20, 30 minutes where there's yeah, not a like bunch it. of new deer popping mm-hmm. out. And, and, and maybe every once in a while, if I'm on a great vantage point, I'll stick it out for an hour, hour and a half. But it, I tend to see the deer that are around and the bucks are, that are around take inventory. And then I almost want to use that morning light or that morning movement. And I want to start traveling through country and use almost like a mobile vantage point where I'm not quite still hunting the thick stuff like you, like right. you mentioned there. Right. But I, I'm still hunting through and just getting yep. different angles on mm-hmm. the country, looking back into different canyons, different faces. And I'll just pick out different deer and maybe find that group of does where that, where that buck's at. And so same thing as I get into that late season as well as I feel like I don't need to sit on a vantage point for four hours. Like mm-hmm. I need to sit there for 20 to 40 minutes, pick mm-hmm. it apart, see what deer around, and then almost start moving my way through country and just getting different angles on it in different mm-hmm. positions and continuing to glass. But I'm almost walking and when I get to a good spot or any new opening I can see, I'm picking it apart with my binos trying to turn up some deer. 
and and uh, and, and then as I as I move through, like uh, I tend to just find deer, and I will hunt. Like the rut is great for hunting all day long. It seems like it there's is. deer movement mm-hmm. throughout the day. And I also like what you mentioned about that cold weather. There is something about the cold, or uh, it doesn't even have to be deep snow, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. But that that barometer, like it it starts dropping or it gets cold, and that rut seems to really ramp up. And and I love to be there at the beginning of that peak rut, like mm-hmm. you said, November 9th. Mm-hmm. Like, like November 5th to November 10th, there's a day in there where a switch flips, and it, it can be a cold does. weather system, and all of a sudden there's big bucks, and they're everywhere cruising through. And so I, I really <laughs> like to hit that, that early peak rut. But then that those peak rut dates that you talk about, it's so fun because you get to see so many different bucks cruising around. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and then also, like, uh, uh, I'm not just looking at the does. Uh, like, I'll also catch bucks that are solo this time of year that have already bred a doe that are looking for another group of does that are traveling through this country. Or I'll see where that buck, like, he's not into, like, uh, uh, he, he he's not... He's not going to tend all these does for for a week long and wait for one to come into mm-hmm. estrus. He's going to move into these does, look for one into estrus, look to breeder and look to move on. Or I've seen him where he cuts out that hot doe. And so I'll, gro- I'll glass a group of does. There's no buck in there. But that buck has cut one of those does off, and I'll find him 200 yards above these does, and he's with one single doe, and he's just chasing her around in the timber trying to breed her up there. Or maybe he's bedded with her, uh, waiting for her to get up. Like he can smell that she's going to be coming into Esther soon. So it's not just glassing the does. Like it's being really good behind your glass to look at all those likely spots he can be. Because sometimes he's not, you know, with that exact group of does. He's already cut one off or, or, or he's up moving solo. Do you find that as well? Yeah, I'm glad you bring it up, dude. That's why I was tamping on my temple. You're very observant. That's high-level deer hunting. And that's what I put in my seminar because it took me a while to kind of figure this out. What a big buck wants is he wants a lone doe. He doesn't like to be around. I, we were talking about bachelor bucks in September, how they'll, the big ones, sometimes they'll just pull away from that. If that becomes a risk to them, they'll just pull away from it. All right. If, if it's helpful for them to be in there, they'll hang out with all those bucks. But I, th- I see the same thing with the does. I don't think they like being down there chasing all those little bucks off. And oh, here comes another one. I mean, they're distracted, too. They don't live that way any other time of the year. Right. They're mm-hmm. always very deliberate. They're always paying attention. So I think their gold standard is to when a doe is, is, is at the peak of estrus, or whatever they call that in the scientific community, when that egg is dropped and it's ready, okay, um, he wants her alone. He wants to move her back in the brush and, 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 and make babies. And, and I've seen that. And I put that in my seminar that that's where sometimes during the peak rut, I struggle a little bit because I'm like, well, wait a minute. It's like November 17th. These big bucks should be going wild. And all I'm seeing are a bunch of juveniles around these does. And then all of a sudden, like you said, I'll pick something up in my glass. Like, wow, there's a lone doe over there. What's she doing? Why is she alone? You know, and I get watching her and boom, here comes Hornyhead. And he's with her. He's, he's pulled her away from those. The first time that ever happened to me was about um, 2000. I was hunting with a friend. He had killed a nice buck, a four-year-old buck. And he said, dude, I'm just going to go glass for you now. We were in the back country, but it wasn't like high country. It was just you needed horses to get in there. And, um, and it was hard to cover country. And he said... Rather than just go sit with you and look on the same mountain, he goes, why don't I, you know, head up this drainage? And we had walkie-talkies. He goes, I'll call you if I see something. I'm like, hey, great idea. First morning, we split up. He, he radios me, and he's like, hey, dude, he goes, I've been watching this doe over here. He goes, there's, there's all these deer down at the bottom of this canyon that we hunted. He goes, I can see down in there. There's deer all over in those quakies where you said they'd be. He says, but just up above on this ridge, he goes, there's, there's a doe out there, and she's by herself, and she's just bedded. He goes, I don't know what she's doing. I'm just going to keep an eye on her, and I, and I didn't know what was going on. I'm like, oh, okay, that sounds good. Just kind of weird, you know, because all the deer are grouped up, and, you know, I'm over on another mountain watching, you know, six or seven bucks chasing does all over the place. Dude, he calls me about a half an hour later. He's like, dude, she's with a great big buck. He's, she's, he's about 28, 29 inches wide, and he goes, I only see him every once in a while. He'll come out, and he'll get her out of his bed, and he did this, I think, twice. He and he'll smell the ground and he'll like run her around a little bit and he goes then he just disappears but he won't let her leave if she tries to leave he gets her in that was the first time i ever witnessed that and by the way we didn't end up and didn't end up killing that buck we tried but um 
Um, and then over the years, I've kind of paid attention. I've seen that several different times. And so I've just, in my mind, I've made up that that's really what they want to do if they can. If they can get a doe in estrus and pull her away from all those, all those fawns and all those little bucks, that's what they want to do. So in the peak rut, don't quit looking for those individual deer. And if you see a lone doe, pay attention to lone does. And this may only happen to you once every couple of years. I mean, it's it's not real frequent that I get to observe that. Mm-hmm. But I know that if there's a lone doe, there's a reason, and I need to pay attention to it. She may be with the biggest buck on the mountain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, man, that's so spot on. Yeah, and I, and I love... Like uh, when I get to hunt these deer or I locate a good buck that I want to make a play on, um, uh, it, it's different than the early season. It, it's still methodical and slow on my approach, but I'm, I'm almost more aggressive and I take what these gear, deer will give me. And so I move in and then adapt to the situation that I'm given because it's tough to plan out a stock because because by the time I get there, everything's changed. Mm-hmm. He's ran that doe around yep. to a different spot. Yep. The does are in a different area. So I almost find myself like finding a good buck that I want and he's in a decent spot or I've got a decent win. And I just start closing in and then adapting to the situation that I'm given. And maybe I've got to get into a couple hundred yards. I have to reassess. I may pull out and wait then and watch him for a while. Or maybe I've gotten in where I can use the topography to move in. But really at that time of year, it um, uh, I think we're uh, the the bucks get the the reputation of, of, of throwing caution into the wind is they are focused on breeding does. Mm-hmm. They are not focused on danger as much, and they mm-hmm. can still catch it, and they mm-hmm. can still bust out. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, you have to beat the does. Like, it's yes. all the does mm-hmm. that are going to see you, or they're going to catch movement. In fact, I chased a great buck this year that I about killed. I chased him for multiple days. I was actually really patient, passed on the stock, and I finally got an opportunity. It was during the snowstorm, and I knew where he was at. He was bedded down in these aspens down there and and uh this was a great buck he was only a three Mm -hmm. uh but he just had a giant frame and he was so heavy and Mm. he had the back tines and big eye guards and just so heavy and bladed older body deer where it's just like this is the deer i want to kill yeah and so um he was he was bedded down with these deer and i had like a a ridge line that drew me down into him down in there and and um i got down in there and uh everything was working out perfect i was inside 100 yards checked on him again he's down there rutting a doe or maybe he's bedded at that time with the does down in there and so i kept working this ridge line down in and now i'm finally to the spot where i'm gonna pop over this ridge line i'm gonna get a shot so I'm making my final approach and I jump a doe that's right up the, in and through right there, there yeah. you know, and she, she goes over into the herd. And so I kind of hurry to get over the ridge, you know, take my last couple steps slow. They didn't see me approaching, but that one doe had blew up my, my, uh, mm-hmm. uh, opportunity in there. Now all the does are on edge. That buck could care less. He's down there trying to breed that doe as those other does are yep. trying to escape. Yep. And he tried to breed her the whole way up the yep. hillside. <laughs> Every he time could, she'd stop, he'd try to get on. Huh? Yeah, yeah. He, he could care less about danger. He was yep. into that doe, you know. And so a lot of times that time of year, uh, you, you got to play the does and you can't spook them out. And you talked about uh, becoming friends with the does. It's really important not to bust all those does oh, out of there. totally. It's you gotta can't be, be spooked. Your impact. Yeah, yep. if you start spooking those does out, yep. that, that rutting ground is gone. Yep. Like, they'll start disappearing out of there. So you really got to be low impact and work really hard not to be spooking does while you're hunting the rut. Yep, I've learned to say, to never say, oh, it's just a doe. Nope. Now, not during that time of year. Nope. No, man, they will they will tell on you, and it'll, it'll, it'll ruin it. If you can figure out ways to stay back from those secure does and find ways to, to look at multiple ones, multiple groups like that a day, you're going to turn over a, a, a better buck. You you just are. I've done it for 30 years. I just know I know what's going to happen. When I run into guys, you know, Colorado was really warm on third season this year. And, you know, a lot of guys were kind of down in the mouth about it. But I'm like, hey, I'm still seeing just bucks going nutso um, the first half an hour of life. So make sure you're not still driving down the road or hiking in somewhere and you can't see your deer country. You need to be where the deer are. You know, build on your knowledge base every day. And it's some, you know, a lot of times we think opening day is the best. It can be. But sometimes you don't know enough about your area yet. Even if you've hunted it before, like, you know, the deer aren't always in exactly the same place. But, hey, if you opening day was kind of slow, but, hey, I inventory some does up in this, this draw. Okay, the next morning, 
it's supposed to be 60 degrees tomorrow. You can't be getting up there at 730. Mm -hmm. You got to be there before first light. I mean, it needs to be a little dark before shooting, before shooting time. You need to be there because if there's a big buck in there, it's probably that first half an hour, 45 minutes that you're going to see him. And if you're late, and, and it's warm weather like that, even in the peak rut, because Colorado's third season ran until November 13th this year. Excuse me, 19th. Wow, those are good oh, dates. Yeah, dude, it was killer dates, but it was still tough yep. midday. Tough. You talked a minute ago about hunting all day. I, peak rut is about the only time of the year that I actually hunt all day long. Me about too. the only time, most of the days. Um, you know, early season, the days are so long. You know, I may not go back to camp, but, you know, I'm taking a nap on the hill, you know, mm -hmm. stuff like that. But peak rut, the days are short, nine hours long, you know, and, and you can see bucks moving throughout the day. But when it gets warm like that, it's still dang slow in the middle of the day for the big bucks. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't sleep in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, you, you, you got to stay out till the last seconds of light. I mean, this stuff sounds basic, but I'm still amazed at how many times as a younger person I quit and I still see guys that are, you know, they're headed back to camp and they're, dude, guys, the sun's just went down the best half hours right now, especially with this warm weather. Mm -hmm. So, anyways, no, no, I look I, at that you're stuff. so spot on. Like it does seem simple. I was gonna say the same thing. It seems like a, like basic knowledge hunting mm -hmm. mule deer, uh, but but guys get worn down or they mm -hmm. don't see any deer that day and they just start coming back a touch early. And, and and you couldn't be more spot on with your advice. The right places at the right times. You've got to hike with your headlamp. You've got to stay out late. Mm -hmm. It's so important that first half hour, that first hour. There's so much deer movement, and you can't be hiking into your spot you can't be driving your spot because you might miss it yep. and, and two you know maybe you do see some deer when you get up there at eight nine o'clock maybe you see some does but but you have to see all of them you have I to do, take inventory yeah. that one big buck can be with one group of does that put away 15 minutes after light and you yes. missed them because you weren't there on time and you still get there and still might find 20 deer and find some small bucks and thinks oh there's no big bucks in here and no you just missed them you weren't at the right yep. place at the right time have to be disciplined and as i've gotten older like, I haven't missed a morning hunt in 20 years. Awesome. Like, I, yeah. I never you sleep just, in. You just know. You can't sleep. You can't sleep <laughs> in. you got to be out yep. there. And, and you've got to be out there till that last light. I never yeah. miss the evening. Yeah. I just know how important it is day in, day out. And just like you said, like, you're you're gathering information, too, where you're seeing deer, where mm -hmm. you're seeing them move. And and maybe sometimes it's it's... Uh, where you don't see a big buck and you know to move on, mm -hmm. but you've got to be there in that first half an hour to rule it out. Rule Otherwise, it out. you can't rule out country. You can't. You can't, yeah. dude. You're exactly right. And, I, and I've made all those mistakes as a young person. I really did. And and now it's it's not that I hunt perfectly, but I just try to make sure that those are those are kind of the non-negotiables. And like Colorado was so warm this year that there was days I wasn't hunting all day. I was headed back to camp, you know, make lunch, you know, take a little nap, head back out about three or four o'clock. And I want to talk about Moonface too. And um, um, you know. But make sure I was getting back into those those areas. And the area I was hunting, you didn't have to hike anywhere more than a mile, you know. But you but you had to be there at the times they were up. I, I just read it in a biology book here like a year ago. I think I got the word right. Deer are crepuscular, and that means that they move in the twilight. So that's like a that's like a biological definition of deer worldwide. You can find it in the scientific journals. And um, yeah, obviously. But if you really think about that, and you really think about big buck behavior. There has been so many big bucks I've seen over the years, Brian, that would only come out when the sun was down. So that's an hour a day, right? It's the only time you can see when the sun is down. You get a half an hour in the morning and a half an hour um, at light, uh, at night. And the, some of those bucks, that's the only time they come out. And we're not even talking about rut. We're talking, you know, as soon as they rub their antlers. That's the only time that you see them. So, you, man, you can't miss those times. You, you, you really can't. And, and, and sometimes... Like as a younger person, I'd get a little lazy during the rut. I'd be thinking, oh, man, all the cards are in my favor. These bucks are going to screw up. No, you still got to hunt right. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to get the best one, you got to hunt right. Um, let's talk about moon phase a little bit. Oh, I'd love to. That was something else I dove into. Um, I've had a lot of people ask me about moon phase over the years. And just going back over the 25, 30 big bucks I've killed, I've killed some big bucks on the full moon. And I... Like about 10 years ago, I was kind of just not even worried about it anymore. I'm like, well, the moon's the moon. The moon is, when the moon's, if it's up on opening day, I'm still going to go, mm -hmm. you know. But as I started putting together this article about the rut and looking back through my journals, I did, I did come up with 
some some tips I think that will help people during the rut, and then reading the whitetail literature. Um, there was a great whitetail researcher. His name is Charles Charles Alzheimer. I think we just lost him last year. Studied um, the whitetail rut for like 40 years, and a lot of lot of good information. Um, you had talked about the rut getting later as you move south. Um, he actually defined that line as the 35th parallel. That's a line that goes through about north central Arizona, uh, southern California, um, um, uh, New Mexico, kind of across that line. And that's what I've seen is north of that line, all these dates that we talked about line up on October 20th for the early rut, November 10th for the peak rut, December 1st for the late rut, something like that. But when you move below the 35th par parallel, it just spreads out. So back to the moon phase thing, when, when we're trying to, to hunt deer during the rut above that 35th parallel and we want to catch the most rut action because a lot of guys aren't like us. They don't hunt 35 days a year, 50 days a year, 60. You know, they got, they got the weekend off. They got to make the most of it. Looking through my journals and paying attention to moon phase and just thinking back, this is what, what I've noticed. If there's a full moon during any of those phases of the rut, so early, peak, or late, I've seen it shut down the rut activity in the mornings. So... You, we were talking about, you know, got to be there at that first half hour of light. That's a non-negotiable. You still got to do it even when there's a full moon. But it helps me with my mental game to know if there's been a full moon last night, everything's just more active during the full moon. That's just all there, all there is to it. And even though these bucks run themselves ragged, they still rest during the rut. I find them bedded and all that stuff. And I find after the full moons, the mornings can be really slow. I just don't see a lot of rutting activity. And I think that's just a function of the bucks are tired. They're, the does are tired. They, they, they've eaten longer during the night under a full moon. I mean, research has shown that. So they go lay down early. So there's been a few times I think I've burned some days thinking, oh, man, the rut is just so slow, the full moon. And then I miss the afternoon mm. for whatever reason. I just don't go out that night or whatever. But... What I've learned is when that rut action is turned off in the morning, you can expect some phenomenal afternoons. And I've seen that pick up as early as 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a full moon. That mm. all of a sudden, boom, the deer are up and moving. And, you know, they've laid down before daylight. They've got six, seven, eight hours of rest. You know, they've gotten up and eaten during that time, but they've stayed in the brush. But now they've moved out of the cover. And the bucks, and this is, I think, what's driving it, those bucks are like, okay, they got some rest. And they're ready to rock and roll, you know, <laughs> and they're out there and they're chasing those does. And so Colorado this year, we had that moon and, and, you know, that was tough, but our afternoons were still awesome, dude. That's, I was seeing killer rutting action in the afternoons, you know, two, three o'clock, full sun bucks out of the cover, just chasing does where, you know, we were in here this morning, we didn't even see a buck. So you kind of want to think about that with that full moon is it may, it may cause the morning action to be slow, but just expect more action in the afternoon, because this is what you got to remember is the rut is still going to occur. It's how God made them. It's the survival <laughs> of the species. Yes. There's going to be these different intensity levels. And I think that's what throws us off. Yes. You know, like the rut was, there was no rut this morning. Oh, there was a rut. It was just low intensity, mm -hmm. but you can expect higher intensity in the afternoon. And then the same thing with the or opposite with the dark moon. I've seen dark moons, fantastic mornings, you know, daylight. Oh my God, there's a group of deer over there. There's a big buck right there. There's a four point right there. I mean, just everywhere you look and they're all chasing does. And, and this can be early rut can be, you know, people rut can be late rut but then the afternoons can get real slow and i think it's the same thing they 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 they, they spend all that energy in the mornings they're tired and then they just kind of go lay down for a few hours you know they may not get up till right at dark so it's probably not a formula you can use for every single day but it's something to think about and and as i kind of put that together i thought you know i, th I think of years ago when i just used to go out and hunt in the mornings tell mornings are best and i would pay no attention to the moon but it's like no sometimes mornings aren't the best sometimes evenings can be fantastic if you've had a full moon oh um this is amazing information like uh i, I I mean, to be honest, like, I always think the moon is a bit hocus-pocus, but I just haven't looked back at my journals. That's why you're uh, uh, such a great mule deer hunting resource, is that you've looked back in your journals and you've found correlation mm -hmm. between wow. activity and the moon phases. Because mm -hmm. me, like, and, and, and guys always talk about moon phases for elk, and, mm -hmm. and sure, I notice, um, you know, they do feed more at night. Like, I definitely mm -hmm. notice that during a full moon, but I haven't been able to tie any correlation to it, but to hear 
you're a guy that's so invested in hunting big mule deer or this correlation that you found. And, and um, like you say, still going to hunt mornings, still going to hunt afternoons, but, but now I can, I can tie that to some of my own hunting and mm-hmm. being at the best vantage points for an afternoon or mm-hmm. for a morning, determining what's going to be best and really put my emphasis and effort into that spot during that time frame. It, uh, that's, a, that's amazing. That's amazing insight. And, and, and I know there's something to it. And uh, uh, like just with your findings, like um, I'm definitely going to take note of that. And that's something that I learned today. That's amazing information. Yeah, well, pay attention to that. I will. And, and that's what I'm trying to do with this whole seminar tomorrow is get the conversation going. I don't want to make it sound like I've got the definitive information on the mule deer rut. I'm just, these are things I've noticed. And I really would like to get the conversation going with experienced mule deer hunters like yourself. And, and hey, what do you see? What do you think? And just today, like you said, well, wait a minute. I've seen some bucks chasing does clear till the end of December. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like, I'm th- they're thinking, well, I haven't, but then again, I don't spend a lot of time out there at the end of December. So there's one more chunk of information that, mm-hmm. that just tells me there's estrus does in December. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly what I said before. These bucks know what sex is. Mm-hmm. They're not going to let that doe go unbred. <laughs> and, and, and you know what? I, I, don't th- I, I think a buck would breed a doe in June if she mm-hmm. came in into estrus, mm-hmm. you know. And so, anyways, all this stuff that we're talking back and forth, that's what I hope to get out through through the podcast mm-hmm. and the seminar and everything is is just the whitetail guys are kicking our butts on this stuff. They've got so much more information on that. Charles Alzheimer, go look him up. He I wrote will. for Deer and Deer Hunting. It's a magazine. Okay. It's a website yeah. now. Uh, for years, there's so much stuff on there. He could even tell you when the rut was going to start with good accuracy, and it had to do with the second full moon in October. Mm-hmm. And um, and what he found is if the second full moon in October, I don't want to quote him exactly because I don't remember it, but it was like if it occurred around the 20th, 25th, the you, you could expect a really early high intensity rut that year where if it didn't occur until after the first of november the rut was more drawn out and i don't want to go into any more than that because some of it you know i just don't understand but i mean just reading the guy's stuff i'm like none of us mule deer hunters are talking that way right like yeah, we don't right. even we're not even thinking on that level yet he proved it again and again through his research and he had a captive herd of deer too that he that he tested this stuff on and then and he was a hunter he was a good hunter and he would went, went go out and tested on the deer and dude he wrote volumes on that stuff so so that's all i'm trying to do is get us caught up yeah. and and that's why when i'm talking to my whitetail buddies you know they're they're looking at the moon phase charts and they're looking at all this stuff i'm like Man, I'm just going hunting. I, 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 I got to be leaving a lot on the table here. So, anyways. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, it's so fun to compare notes, and especially with a, a guy like you that lives for hunting big mule deer. And yeah, I learn something every time I talk to you. And, and whether uh, it, it's contrasting ideas or uh, uh, similar uh, things that we run into, yeah, like that that late rut. Like, uh, and I hunt a lot of the elk rut as well. And what I find is that um, you know the peak of the rut the the, the the peak of the elk rut is from the 15th to the 25th. They rut September. really hard, mm-hmm. but I really see that rut ebb and flow. Like I will see, I will see an elk or a big bull that will be feeding by himself during the middle of the rut because he just bred those cows so hard the night before, so bred them, and and he's tired, or maybe the cows aren't in esters because they come in and they come out, mm-hmm. and uh, I'll see him just feeding on a hillside. But then uh, the the reason. Uh, October is so good to me for hunting elk and they continue to rut in October and the reason why is that the the cows that didn't get bred during Mm -hmm. that first cycle of estrus 30 days later they come back into estrus Mm -hmm. again so this is what makes those dates in October so good is that they come back into estrus now the rut changes a bit and I find this correlation between deer and elk as during the later rut seasons it seems like bigger group of elk it seems like bigger group of deer Mm -hmm. and there might be multiple bucks in that group Mm -hmm. but i find them that they'll rut in that december and i really think that they're catching second cycle does that didn't get bred Mm -hmm. the first time around in november 30 days later they come into the rut so i actually have pretty good rut hunting i mean all the way through december in a lot of these units one of my units is open to december 10th and i see rutting activity till the day it closes another one closes december 31st and this is above that 35th uh parallel that you're Mm -hmm. talking about Mm -hmm. which is spot on by the Mm -hmm. way Mm -hmm. you know it's like north central arizona yeah across the united states yeah I can hunt northern Arizona and mm-hmm. run into really good rut in December yep. uh, and no rut in January, but I, I go to central, to southern New Mexico or Arizona, uh-huh. and they, they tend to rut more in January. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, 
I do think it's these does coming into a second cycle estrus, but I look for bigger groups. It's it's like more a, a combination between winter range and rut hunt that time of year. Mm-hmm. As the bigger groups, maybe multiple bucks, and they're just hanging around looking for that that one doe mm-hmm. that's going to come back mm-hmm. into estrus. But yeah, it's, it's always amazing sitting down with you. And I, I saw you have a new book out. I do. It'll be out here <coughs> later this spring. Later this spring. I just sent it to the editor. I pushed the send button on it a week ago. Oh, man, it felt good to, to do that. Brian, I was writing 10,000 words a week there for a couple of weeks, and it was just wearing me out and trying to work my regular job and everything. But, you know, I, I released, released my first book in 2015. I've really wanted to do another one since then. And, dude, honestly, Rockside just got so busy. And, and I finally just had this little opening this fall. I actually started the book during hunting season, just wow. some of the breaks I had between hunts and everything. Because, you know, you come home, you're fresh. You probably do that after yes. hunt. You're fresh. You write a few things down, like, oh, I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to write this. And, and that, I wrote this book just like I did the other one in just a couple of months. And um, uh, so, so, yeah, that'll be out later this spring. It's called Hunting Big Mule Deer, The Stories. My first book was Hunting the Big Mule Deer, How to Take the Best Buck of Your Life. It was more tips and tactics. It's you know, a stuff great like that. book. Thank I you. love that book. What a great resource for hunters out mm-hmm. there to understand mule deer and cut the learning curve. Uh, it's amazing. And I can't wait to, to read the second book when it awesome. comes out It's this just spring. long stories. Yep. Just big, long stories. And I recruited other writers that helped me. Randy Ulmer's in there, Ryan Lampers, wow. a bunch of my friends that are good mule deer hunters in there, Scotty Thompson. Um, Corey Dixon, um, uh, Travis Hobbs, good stuff. And I and I just tried to take a, a wide variety of hunting experiences and bring them together and l- let the stories tell you rather than the how-to. You know, how-to is, you know, do this, step A, here's B, do this. This is just more long-form stories. So mm-hmm. I hope it works. I know a lot of guys are, you know, they're scrolling and, and it's hard hard to get their attention. But if you like stories like I did growing up, that was some of the, the, the writers I really followed was the guys that put out the, the, the stories. I really love to get into the stories. You know, Eastman's Hunting Mag. I mean, that's why it's popular. Mm-hmm. You know, because the, the, a lot of those articles, that's what they are, stories of the hunt. But these are even longer. I got one story in there that's 12,000 words long. Wow. It was it was an entire hunting season in one story, but it all, it all had a common thread, and that's why it worked. So. Well, and you can pull gems from these stories, like mm-hmm. listening to good mule deer hunters and how they go about hunting these big bucks, turning them up, and how they go about harvesting them. And and as you read their written words and as they they write it down on paper, you can pull just gems of information yes, from these stories. Right. So yeah, it just leaves you wanting to read more. Yeah, and you know, I remember reading some of these stories when I was young, and the story would end, and I was. Just just bummed. I just wanted more, you know. Mm-hmm. So anyways, that was my attempt to do that. It'll be out later this spring. I appreciate you mentioning it. It'll be on Amazon. At some point, we'll get it in the Rock, Rock Slide store, but Amazon rules the world, mm-hmm. so they're faster at everything. So they, they'll they have it up first. Mm-hmm. Well, you're, you're an amazing resource for us mule deer hunters, and I just can't thank you enough for coming on and having these, these genuine, honest, authentic conversations. Like, this really helps guys shorten the learning curve. So I can't thank you enough. And, well, uh, thank you very uh, yeah, much, I brother. really enjoy talking to you. Seriously. Last thing, you're going to be at Western Hunting Summit with Lampers here this year? Uh, I am. It's in June? Yes. June. I, all right. Yep. I'll be there too, man. Oh, I, let's hopefully hang we're out. on the same weekend. I can't remember what my dates are. I, I'm but doing all three, so I'll it's going to work I'll get out. to see you. So let's compare some notes then, maybe do another podcast. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, okay, sounds Bo. great. Thanks, God Robbie. bless you, man. Yep. Thank you. Oh, so fun. Dude, it was. I love it. All right, guys. That's the show. Uh, thanks again to Robbie Denning. Just an amazing podcast. I always really enjoy having him on. So uh, thanks again to him for taking the time. I know he's busy during those shows and things, so it uh, worked out really well to sit down and do a recording. And he did offer to do another one at uh, Lamper's Western Hunting Summit, so definitely going to hit him up for that one. Uh, maybe we can do some early or some mid-season mule deer or send me your ideas on social media if you have any, uh, what you'd like to see me and Robbie record. But um, just a, a great man, great guy, great podcast, so uh, really enjoyed that one. Also, I want to thank Savage Arms for sponsoring the podcast, uh, building great out-of-the-box accurate rifles. Uh, so make sure to check them out. Again, those that model that the Eastmans like so much is that 110 Ultralight. And uh, again, I'm really liking that new 6.5 that I got. Um, the thing is absolutely shooting. So uh, going to have to um, try to get after some some wolves in the wintertime or something with that thing uh, shooting really accurately. So uh, that'll be fun. I also want to thank Everly Stock, building great quality packs. I love that new Vapor Series, being able to change out the bags, have the meat shelf in there, and a good quality design that packs the weight right. So thanks to those guys. 
thanks to Eastman's for their support of the podcast. Again, you can check out uh, Tag Hub. You can check out Beyond the Grid or Internet TV Show and the magazines Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal and Eastman's Hunting Journal. And, um, yeah, like I was saying in the intro there, uh, just been um, putting on miles, did a big one the other day, which is always good to push my limits like that. But, um, yeah, I'm just hu- as hungry as ever for, for season and um, uh, preparing for season, really getting excited for spring bear. Uh, I missed that January desert hunt, and um, so I'm definitely uh, uh, getting uh, itchy trigger finger, <laughs> getting... Um, uh, uh, cabin fever feel like getting out and doing some hunting so um excited for this this application season got my name in a bunch of hats and just seeing what i can draw i did see that i was unsuccessful in arizona uh, those results came out today uh so just um just part of it just trying to draw some good tags here and there and kind of strike out uh would love to get an elk tag there but it'll come eventually and uh trying to get my game plan here for montana they made a bunch of rule changes and um, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just, uh, you know, as, as these tags get tougher to come by, um, just have to spend more time on these hunts. And so like my best opportunity to hunt is in my home state of Montana. So I'm really going to make the most out of it next year and making some changes to my hunt strategy. And, uh, you know, I keep myself in such good shape, health and fitness, and uh, I love chasing these bulls in the mountains, and they build big, heavy, dark horns. And so, um, you know, looking to to really, you know, I hunt the mountains every year, but really looking to focus on the mountains next year. A um, couple different mountain ranges that I'm thinking about, so I've been scouting those pretty hard. I also, uh, I love hunting muleys during the rut in Montana, but uh, there's a great opportunity to hunt them early as well. And they're not easy in our high country, but they are around. And so I've actually got a high country hunt that I'm planning for my home state here of Montana and um, kind of get back to some of my roots there too. Uh, harvested some good ones over the years in the early season, but it's been a while. Uh, so definitely going to go for that as well as trying to draw some out-of-state hunts. But yeah, just trying to focus in and um, really study up and get a good game plan for season have a lot of my map research done. So uh, I'm absolutely wearing out Google Earth and uh, OnX and, and things. And, um, man, it's just a, a fun pro- process and it's fun to plan out these hunts throughout the year. And uh, so, yeah, I should have some great adventures coming up that I'm really looking forward to. So hopefully you guys are drawing some tags and making some plans for some adventures this fall and this spring. I guess we're coming up on this spring. Um, man, I would love to to go to New Zealand, but just not in the cards this year. So got to just, um, keep plugging away and save my pennies and maybe get up there the following year, um, get through all this COVID stuff. So, uh, anyways, just, uh, having fun, loving life, getting some work done and, uh, making sure I'm getting that training in. So, uh, give myself the best chance at success next season. So thanks a bunch you guys. I, I always really appreciate the support of the podcast, the downloads, the shares on social media, uh, it's just huge, and I've got a bunch of new content that I'll be uh, releasing here uh, that I'm really excited to release to you guys. A bunch of photos and videos and things, so just trying to get organized on my side so I can um, release more of that on social media. So um, thanks, you guys. Appreciate the support, and I'll check in with you next week.